This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, I'm excited to share a sneak peek of The Wonder of It All by Barbara Taylor Bradford, read by Joan Walker. A sudden flurry of noise interrupted the quietness. Nurse Jackson came hurrying out, smiling as she almost ran towards him down the path. James sat up straighter in the wheelchair. Before he could get a word out, she told him he had a visitor. A lady, Major Falconer, and Mrs. Ward, should I bring her out to the garden? Thunderstruck though he was, James managed to say she should bring her out and sat back in the wheelchair, staring after Nurse Jackson as she hurried away. Unexpectedly, a small rush of pleasure trickled through him. Georgiana Ward. Start listening to The Wonder of It All by Barbara Taylor Bradford now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kapinski, and my guest today is Pauls Tutangi, author of the new novel, The Refugee Ocean, a modern epic of two refugees from 1940s Beirut and 2014 Aleppo, connected across time by music and the hauntings of dreams deferred. Paul's parents were both refugees to the United States. He's been awarded a Pushcart Prize, an Andrew W. Mellon Research Fellowship, a Fulbright Grant, and a residency at Hawthorndon Castle. He's written for The New Yorker, The New York Times Book Review, Outside Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Tin House, and other periodicals. He's married to the novelist Peyton Marshall. He lives in Oregon, where he teaches at Lewis and Clark College. Pauls, thank you so much for being here. I thought this was just such a compelling novel. Um, that's beautifully written and woven together. And I've so been looking forward to getting to hear a bit more of the behind the scenes from you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Yes. Um, well, I, I guess first to start, if you could just share with listeners a bit more about um, the refugee ocean and the characters and sort of settings that we see in the different storylines. Yeah. Um, so this, the book is the story of two refugees separated by roughly 70 years. Um, the first half of the, the story is uh, Marguerite. Um, she, Marguerite Tutunji, she is born in Beirut, Lebanon, and uh, born in 1927. And she is uh, com- coming of age in... Um, the late forties in Beirut and uh, it sort of talks about her family and her um, dreams of becoming a uh, composer and a concert pianist and uh, kind of how that is in conflict with the aspirations of her family, which is a uh, tobacco uh, merchant family, much like my family was a tobacco merchant family in the Middle East for hundreds of years. Um, and then the other side of things is uh, Naim Rahil, and he's uh, a character who is, um, his story is set in Aleppo in the present day during the, the Civil War. Um, and he uh, suffers losses in, in the, the Civil War and uh, ends up Um, in a refugee camp and then coming to the United States. Um, So he's also a musician and the music is the vehicle through which their stories intertwine. You know, you spend some time reading and kind of thinking about, you know, what 
what the connection between them will wind up being and, and what form that will take. And it was just interesting to see how, how those different kind of plot points come together. And both of their characters and situations were so compelling and, you know, just putting myself in each of their shoes really had me kind of mesmerized. And it got me wondering, is this, is what we are reading now similar to what you first envisioned for the book? Or did it sort of start with just one of these characters and kind of the the two storylines came later? Um, it, it's such a kind of intricate Right. novel that I'm curious how it sort of unfolded in the in the writing process. Right. Well, uh, thank you for that question. I, I worked on it for six and a half years. Um, so it had, there were many turns in the road. Um, I was dreaming about the way that an artist sits down to work and they are in communication with artists from hundreds of years before them. Uh, it's an invisible communication. It's not something that is tangible or really will, um, you know, have any real effect on, on your life, uh, practically. But, um, when a writer sits down to work, me, I'm talking with, you know, writers from hundreds of years in the past whose work has, has moved me. And if I'm, you know, successful, then maybe someday in the future, some, you know, someone who's a kid now <laughs> will be sitting down and, and reading my work and, and thinking about me writing it all these uh, years before. So, so I always think about that. Um, I dream about that kind of tr transaction, that invisible transaction that happens between artists and writers and musicians. Um, the the sort of practical roots of the book i um you know my grandfather was born in aleppo and um the siege of aleppo uh, was really hard um i was in contact with family that i still have there and i was watching it through this uh distanced mediated perspective and it was really hard to sort of experience that and um and as a fiction writer i think that um, my, my desire is to respond to the crises of the world through art. I want I want to write uh, a response to um, pain and suffering. Um, I think that 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 writing and and art can be a bridge out of suffering. Uh, certainly, for me, it always has been. Um, so. So I started writing a story that was set in in Aleppo during the conflict, and uh, I published I published an essay um, during that process in the New Yorker called "Leaving Aleppo." And one of my cousins uh, wrote to me after she read it, and she said, "Hey, um, thanks for the essay. It's about our family history." And um, do you know anything about our cousin Marguerite, who went from Beirut in 1948 to Havana? <laughs> oh, I, wow. Yeah. And I said, and I said, um, well, no, I, I don't know anything about our cousin Marguerite. And, uh, 
And so I started doing research and I found the, um, the ship's, the manifest, the ship's manifest, which is in, in the hardback of the novel. It's in the front matter of the book. And, um, and I just, a story sprang into my mind. And, um, and so it, it, I started following that story and then it started intertwining with the story that I was writing and, and there was actually a third story for a long time. So I originally had three braids that I was uh, working on. Um, and, and then I, at some point that other one kind of fell away and I was left with these two stories. Um, and, and yeah, and that, that was kind of the, the genesis of the novel. So yeah. that's so interesting. And I, you know, because I didn't realize that um, Marguerite had such um, that there, you know, was a real person there. And as a, um, well, officially, officially the, the novel says at the beginning, there is the disclaimer that it's, it's based, it's entirely coincidental. Every, any references to historical events, real people or real places are used fictitiously. Whatever. Right. Means, well, I'm very curious about this because in my own writing life, right. there is inspiration from a, you know, person in my family from long ago. And yeah. so I struggle sometimes with, uh, you know, obviously using it fictitiously, but also there's real and interesting circumstances and kind of what, what is, we what, what owe to real story? people. Yeah. What is the story? Well, it's um, it's uh, historical fiction. It's um, 1920s coastal Massachusetts, loosely based on uh, my great grandmother who was sort of lost from the family. And now we only know details of her life. Uh, the whole quote about how well-behaved women seldom make history. We only know about her from uh, newspaper articles of... Uh, times where she sort of broke the rules. So um, kind of piecing together some things for her life. And then of course, like fictionalizing, but um, so I'm just kind of curious what your approach has been for kind of having that inspiration from a real person. Yeah. I think that it's a really tricky question, right? Um, and I, I can tell that you're grappling with it and turning it over in your mind. That sounds like a amazing story. Um, there is something sort of mysterious about, putting together a life, um, as a fiction writer. I, I mean, I just, I went to, I just went to Syria for Harper's magazine this past July. And, uh, and it's, it was a, a crazy sort of situation. And, um, and I was trying to, one of the things I was trying to do is reconstruct my grandfather's early life in Aleppo. And, um, and it's really hard to kind of, search for the emotion of a life through documentary evidence that might kind of be scant, you know? So it's a, it's a real challenge. Um, I think, um, I think that the, from the sort of other side of it is that there's a moral responsibility when you have uh, a person who is at the root of, um, of a story, um, you have to sort of, uh, think about the kind of implications of, of that. And, um, 
And I certainly did that. Um, I think that one of the things for me that was really helpful was I kind of gave myself permission to do anything at all with the first draft. And I said, you know, that first draft, I'm going to draw a boundary around it, draw a wall around it. No one is going to read that draft if I don't want them to. Um, I can, I don't have to do anything, um, be responsible to anyone except for myself for that first draft. And that, I think just from the approach of, you know, uh, questions of, should I do this? Should I write this? Should I not write this? Which can be so um, debilitating, um, you know, especially when you're dealing with real people, um, that, uh, that sort of privacy uh, really helped. Um, then I was able to, to finish the draft and, and just not worry about those things. And then once I had that document, then it was a different process. Then I had to sort of think about a whole, uh, another set of questions. Um, and that's you know, such good it, advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think it's, I think it's true because, because your sense of, you know, I think a writer as a writer for me anyway, um, my sense of fulfillment doesn't it of course it comes from publication right of course but but publication is a really mixed bag you know people i get good reviews i get terrible reviews i get you know people totally misunderstand it people give me one amazon star because the package was late you know, <laughs> like, you know it's sort of like you don't you um you don't control it um but the thing that really i think gives me the most fulfillment as a writer is finishing something is starting out the project and then finishing the draft, you know, and that is the thing that's most satisfying. And so, so that is a, that's private. That's just for me. And then after that, it's something else. It's interesting. It sounds a little bit, I was before this, I was talking to the author, Julie Chavez about her new memoir, everyone but myself. And um, we were talking a little bit in that sense of what do you keep private and what do you open up about? And it's interesting that she kind of said something similar that she really didn't think about it until the editing stage in terms of, you know, what would be okay to share and what would not. So it's kind of interesting that some of that is similar. And, you know, as you are constructing that first draft were you kind of researching at the same time? Did you do a lot of research before you even started writing? And and how did, this is such a big project to undertake right. and so many different like settings and times. I know. <laughs> what was the research process like? It, it seems like it would be a little bit unwieldy. <laughs> um, I love the research. The research is the most fun for me. Um, I'm writing a thing right now with my, uh, wife who's also a, a novelist and we're writing kind of a, a sort of a thriller novel um and i was just researching like um uh radar arrays from the 1950s and like how how the air force had uh you know bomber radars and how how radar works and it's just like i i know nothing about this at all <laughs> but um <laughs> but you know it's i love that because um you know, I get to to do kind of casual reading in a field that I don't really know anything about, and I'm just curious about. So the 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 things that I 
end up writing about are the things that I'm curious about. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, I think, I think about research from a pragmatic standpoint as well. I kind of have a, a sense of how I will fold, uh, a specific detail into the sentences of a scene. So I'm thinking about, you know, you have your characters and you have the things that they're saying, and then you have all that framing prose. And so the research is going to go in that framing prose. Probably it's not going to be in, you know, no one's going to say, well, the RW19 flood R radar technology is clearly functioning inappropriately. You know, like, <laughs> like they're not going to, that they're not going to say that. So, um, so that's the, the specific names and the details are going to go in that framing prose. And, um, and so I'm really looking for something that can give uh, an air of verisimilitude and realism to, um, to a moment, uh, you know, with, a with a small gesture. So like, um, ZZ Packer, the, the, fiction writer um has this story drinking coffee elsewhere and there's this tiny moment early on <clears throat> in the story where she's describing being a black uh woman at at um Yale at an orientation uh game in in the, for the incoming class at Yale first year uh student and um and she uses the phrase Erlenmeyer flasks um, and it's just this tiny detail, right? But but because she uses that word, an Erlenmeyer flask, it just gives the whole moment all of this um, specificity and realism. And you just totally believe that she's like on that campus talking with these people um, right there. So it's like, it's just that single word, right? So that single word Either she knew what an Erlenmeyer flask was, or she found it through research, and then she kind of deployed it in that prose in that single moment. So, so I'm kind of always looking for the specific vocabulary of of a moment of a time. Um, uh, you know that can that can kind of go in that in that framing prose. And then, as you're taking these different stories and weaving them together did that kind of unflow naturally as you were writing was it more of you know a whole wall of note cards like arranging scenes in different orders what was that like well so so it was it was actually really tough to figure out how to weave them together to braid them um and <laughs> i did this thing that was kind of amazing is that after i i sold the book to Simon and Schuster. Um, it was during the pandemic and I came to New York and I went to visit my editor, um, at the time. And, uh Oh, I, I hope I don't get him in trouble for this, but, um, <laughs> like, so I went to the offices and there was really no one there. Right. And, um, so, so I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm still working on this scene. And he's, he's like, well, on this, on the, sorry, I'm still working on the structure of the book. And he's like, well, I have meetings all day. Do you need a couple hours? You could do some work. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And he's like, well, I'll set you up in this office. 
So he set me up in an office at Simon and Schuster and I, I put the entire book, I printed it out and I put it down on the floor. And I was just like looking on, you know, at this, um, you know, giant mess of paper. Um, and I was moving everything around physically in the office and, uh, you know, of the publisher of Simon and Schuster, which was, <laughs> which was amazing. And, um, and so, and that was kind of the moment that it just clicked in as far as like being able to spread it out and sort of see it physically, um, uh, in, uh, you know, in front of me. And, um, and, and that, you know, so I, so it was still, I still was, was working on it all the way up until after, Tim, Tim bought it. Um, and you know, uh, he, he had the, the faith in me that I, I could sort of put it, put it together, which I really deeply appreciate. Yeah. It's interesting how the, the structure has to almost become tangible sometimes. Right. And oh, do you find that? Do you, I do. I, I, I'm in a room where at one point there were just like, yeah, giant, poster paper with like note cards everywhere and you know right. lots of different ways but I feel like yeah you ha- I, otherwise yeah it's hard to see it and and kind of yeah play with play with all the scenes and everything um it's making me think too of that image of you having like the pieces of paper everywhere in the in the little woman movie which I love where Joe is in the attic just yeah. um the, and the papers are everywhere and she's like moving them all around and yes um, totally that, yeah uh, just like that yeah. so good <laughs> uh, yeah what a great I, movie yes yes one yeah. of my favorites well you know i was wondering too if as you were in the process of writing this book you're saying it took six and a half years what your writing sort of routine was like at the time and i guess also were you was it hard to kind of like stay, you know, it's like a, that's a long time to be continuing with a project. Like how did you stay on track? Did it feel like at times that you were never going to finish? Like what was your writing routine like? And um, how did you kind of like keep yourself at even like a certain pace over those years? What a wonderful question that is. Um, I, I think that's such an important question um, because that is the despair, right? That I, the feeling like, oh God, I'll never finish, right? Isn't that it? Like that's yes. like, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, like that is the thing that all uh, writers uh, feel and fear, and it, it causes them so much anguish. Um, yeah, I mean, so to combat that that fear, the thing that the thing that I use to combat that fear is um, sort of obsessive outlining. Um, I I want to think about the scenes that I have to write still, and I want to either find a beat or an image or a line of dialogue, something that I can imagine from them, which sometimes is difficult um, you know, if you're on page 30 and you're thinking about page 400. Um, But I just kind of want to think it through and have some sense of like what the beats are, because then um, it becomes 
a number. And I, and I know that's kind of weird, but like turning it into a number quantifies it and makes it uh, achievable in a draft process. So it's like either I'm writing the first draft and I have 84 scenes or beats that I'm imagining and I'm on number 32, um, or I'm revising and I have 28 scenes left to revise and I've revised seven so far, you know? And it's so I sort of have a mile marker for where I am in the process, turn it into a number, quantify it somehow, because otherwise it's too inchoate. It's just this cloud that's sort of floating around and, um, and, you know, you're just, you just don't, you don't know where you are and, and if you're ever going to finish. And so, um, so I think that that quantification, it's like running a half marathon, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you sit there at the beginning and you think I'm going to run 13 miles, you know, you're just, you, you will be overwhelmed. But if you're thinking, okay, I'm going to run to the one mile marker. And then at the one mile marker, you say, I'm going to run to the two mile marker, then, you know, it becomes much more manageable. So, so that's the, that's the one quantifiable thing that I, I do. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there's the thing about I I have two kids who are 13, and so they were growing up um, and time-intensive um, during the time that I was writing this book, um, and I have a full-time job also teaching at Lewis and Clark College, um, so you know, it took a lot of, um, sort of dragging myself to the computer late at night, uh, when I was exhausted and putting in, you know, writing a hundred words, 200 words, and then being, uh, happy with just that and knowing that I was still keeping the work alive. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then when I finished the draft, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in that I have a, a, a amazing agent in Bill Clegg and he is just like, I, I don't know how I got this person to care about me, but, um, <laughs> but uh, he, but he reads these, the drafts, you know, when I finish them and has uh, advice and, you know, notes and, and is incredibly uh, smart and, and a great reader. And, um, and so I will work with him and then I will use his critique as a way of pulling me forward into the process of the next draft. Um, I'm also married to a novelist and she reads my work and does the same thing. Um, she's a a great reader. She's too good of a reader at times, um, (laughs) because she knows writing so well. And so it's sometimes it's, it's tough to to hear her uh, advice, but um, but so I use those two readers as a way of sort of pulling me forward um, into the next draft, uh, which they're all, they're always is, yeah. Yeah, it's helpful to kind of get that behind the scenes look. And did you say that you're writing, you and your wife are writing a book together now? Is that kind of what's coming next? Yeah, well, so yeah, we, um, so we did, uh, we... We wrote a, a a thriller together, um, which was 
super fun. Um, it, uh, we finished a, a draft and then we sent it off and then, um, Bill gave us notes and then we're finishing, we're, we're, we're working on fixing the third act of the thriller, um, which the third act is not sort of working. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's in process right now. Um, she has her own writing project, uh, that she's working on sort of this other novel. And, um, and then I have my own, uh, stuff that I'm working on too. So it's kind of tricky to find a, a balance for everything. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just imagining though, like very. How rich, messy your house is. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say rich, interesting conversations. You must be having sharing pages. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. sorry, rich, interesting conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds. Uh, lack of. Lack of cleaning and and very <laughs> conversations. Um, Maybe those just go together, you know. Right, yeah, <laughs> just, right. Gotta have the pages flying around and right, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I love that. Well, I guess just lastly, I'd love to hear if there are any books that you have read yourself lately that you'd want to recommend. Yeah, you know, so I I I just I read. Um, I've, well, there are two things right now. I'm reading. Uh, the Heart is a Lonely Hunter, the Carson McCullers novel, um, which I haven't read before and I have wanted to read for like 30 years. And so now I'm finally reading it, which is, it's pretty uh, remarkable, but I'm about halfway through. Um, but immediately before that, I just read uh, How to Say Babylon, um, the memoir by Sophia Sinclair that just came out um, from Simon and & Schuster. And uh, it came out this fall. And it's she's she's a poet, and um, it's about being raised within a, a Rastafarian household, and and kind of the um, sort of her uh, uh, history, and and about her um, you know uh, family, and um, it's just a beautiful, incredible book. Um, so about freedom and and religion and family and the ways they all kind of intertwine. Oh, that sounds great. And I will definitely link to that. Listeners want to go check it out. And I just really hope that listeners go run out and grab a copy of The Refugee Ocean. It will definitely um, pull you in. And um, it's just a moving, beautiful read that I am still thinking about all the time. These characters have stayed with me and... Uh, it's just been really fun to get to hear how it came together. And thank you so much for all of the um, great insights on the, the writing life. And um, I, I, hope the, I, the wasn't, I hope I wasn't like overly didn't I feel like I was like very uh, prescriptive or something. I was. No, like, I love it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's great. I was just talking about my own personal process, you know. So, yeah. Like, I always think that's great to hear though, because, right. you know, you could pull things from different authors processes and um just helpful to hear how different people are are getting it done and you know putting it all together so um yeah i appreciate that thank you pauls for being here thank you so much for links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode you can visit a bookishhome.com if you are enjoying the show i hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review whenever you get your podcast And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.